I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rose Choice, and this is oh gosh, this is episode nine, season four. And uh, anyone who's really enjoys podcasting or people that love interviews. They know what I'm about to, they understand what I'm about to say. So there's a handful of names in the sport of rowing that when, when CJ and I and the guys at Rowers Choice started this, we're like, it'd be awesome if, oh, it would be amazing if we got to talk to this person. And uh, the, the person here today is one of those people. I, I was super fortunate. I loved it. Starting season four, talking to Steve Gladstone. I, you know, I had always looked up to him. I revered him. I think anybody in rowing just like, wow, what, a, what an amazing coach. And on the women's side, Yaz is one of them. I have been waiting for this interview a long time and patience is a virtue. We are finally now able to get her on here. We're gonna be talking about her entire past, how she went from that first stroke to where she is today, leading the, well, the U of Washington women, the, the dominating force uh, out there in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, getting into like the whole Title IX thing, right? This is 50 years, Title IX. And we're going to get her opinion on where rowing is headed on the women's side, how competitive it has become. Yaz, Farouk, thank you for being here today. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so humbled. <laughs> uh, thanks for such a, a, a kind introduction. And I I'm, appreciate being here. And I, I feel like I've been very fortunate to be in this sport for as long as I have been. And, and I've seen some pretty... Uh, fantastic performances along the way. So glad to be here and glad to still be doing this. We're going to talk about those performances. Uh, yes. But you know, when, when I had started this podcast with CJ and, and the others, we were asking all these coaches, specifically the junior level, like, who do you think we should interview? And your name came up all the time. So I think people tuning in to this episode are real excited to hear your background. So let me start off. We see the same question every time. How old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? All right. Well, so, you know, I was a coxswain, so it was a matter of getting into that coxswain seat. And uh, I was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin, and that was in 1984. And it was literally right after the U.S. women had captured that first Olympic gold medal uh, in the women's eight in the Los Angeles Games. And some gals in my dorm had been scouted at registration. Back then you would go to the, it was called the stock pavilion and they'd be looking for anybody who was 5'10 or taller. Obviously I was not picked out of the line. <laughs> so, but uh, some of the gals in my hallway were and they're like, hey, you know, you have kind of a big personality and you seem like the right size. So you should come down to this meeting with us. So I went down to the boathouse on Lake Mendota and they, um, Played this video. I was thinking back to what was the video on. It must have been like VHS. I mean, that's how old I am. But uh, they played this video and literally it was just a few weeks old. And it was the U.S. women winning the gold medal in L.A. Whoa. And that I know, I know, right? And uh, in that boat were Carrie Graves and Chris Thorsness, two badgers. And um, they had both learned to row. They had both taken their first strokes at the University of Wisconsin. And, you know, one of the things in the meeting that they said was, yeah, this could be you. you I'm, getting, I'm getting chills. I'm getting, yeah, yes. Come on. I mean, I, you know, I, I, like I sort of, it's weird. It's weird how stories like that can 
can give rowers chills because I can put myself in that position. I could see watching this VHS. I can see you sitting there and be like, I am, I'm, I'm ready to run through a wall. I, I you just watch something that the first ever, right? And there you are in that in that uh, boathouse. What's funny is that I think that you've lost some of your accent. Isn't it is Wisconsin? Do you like, are you from <laughs> Wisconsin? Where has Going that accent gone? <laughs> 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 I was waiting for it, Wisconsin. So, well, what was rowing at all in your life prior to freshman year? Did you even know anything about it or was it all new and fresh And when you were 18 years old? Yeah, I knew nothing. I mean, I, I grew up in a little town called Waupon and it was a, a dairy town in Wisconsin. And, you know, going to the University of Wisconsin, we just called it UW-Madison, you know, if you were yeah. in Stater, right? And um, no, I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, it was kind of scary because I was a kid in a, you know, my whole high school was 800 people and there were more people in my dorm than in my high school, you know? So it was, it was, uh, uh, just, I think initially I kind of felt like a number, right. Mm. And then you go down to the boathouse and you discover this family, you know, and, and then suddenly, you know, I belonged, I felt there was something I belonged to. Right. Who was and the, who was the head coach uh, at the time for the women's team? Stu Ela, you know, also a, a, you know, a title nine pioneer. And our freshman coach was this woman named Jane Ludwig, who really, um, you know, helped me become the coxswain that I, you know, I, you know, it was the, it was the beginning of my career because her whole thing was um, she wanted the coxswain to be an extension. She wanted to know that when she shoved that boat off the dock, the coxswain was going to be this person who was going to take, you know, what she was trying to teach us, not just technically and, you know, toughness wise, but that it would, that person would be an extension of herself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like I was definitely not the top coxswain when we went into spring break that year. And uh, um, by the end of that, that camp, I was and, and uh, she really just helped me, you know, learn what I was capable of, and really how to guide a team, and how to be one of nine, you know, so that was pretty cool. And, you know, just from the standpoint of first strokes, one of the gifts that um, I thought was really great, just as far as learning how to be a, a coxswain. The first thing, the most important thing is steering, right? Mm -hmm. In the beginning, we really got in these boats and we focused on steering and they called all of the other stuff and then they would let you, they would kind of teach you, you know, one bit at a time, but it, it all, you know, your, your foundation of steering was first and kind of a crazy thing, you know, ties to, you know, things present now and, and things way in the past with the boys in the boat, the two wooden pococks that we learned how to row in were the Norm Sanju and the Don Hume. Crazy, right? So he was the stroke of the gold medal 1936 yeah. Olympic men's eight. I didn't even know who those guys were. You know, I had no idea. You're like, you know, hands on the Hume, <laughs> you know, and then it would take like 25 novice women to put a wooden pocock in the water, right? Because <laughs> that's what you learned in. And you learned with, we learned with the megaphone strapped on your face, you know, that's how we started. And then yes. at the end of the spring, you got a cox box. Yeah. Yes, I love just, look, I'm making fun of you, but like, I just love how old you are with this. <laughs> like, think about how far that would be, like far, how weird would that be if a 14 year old coxswain today had a megaphone strapped to their face right now. It would just be so weird, right? But that's what you had. 
Oh That's yeah. And there were, there were cold mornings where if you had any, you know, saliva going, that metal ring would like freeze onto your lip. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even kidding. Anybody older than me knows what I'm talking about. And well, if you're in, you know, like those were some frozen tundra kind of days too. Like it would be pretty cold when we would go out. So. I think of the Christmas story where the kid licks the pole. I mean, like, you know, you immediately <laughs> think that, right? Like you like stuck, you know, things stuck to your face. When did you, um, when did you fall in love with the sport? It was, you know, okay. We know your first stroke, but like, when did it become everything to you? Cause that's it. Every rower we know this long in their career, it's like, they know that moment or they, they can, they can capture it. Well, yeah. And how many of the, the stories are so similar, you know, like, yeah. I think that I will not be the first person to say that, you know, when you took that first power 10, where all of the blades were off the water, and, you know, and this was in a wooden Pocock. And then you actually felt the boat surge and glide and run and you felt like you were flying. And I, I remember the moment and I remember thinking, oh my God, this is what it feels like when nine people are one. Yeah. And we are in that groove and that swing and we are feeling exactly what is going on with this boat together and how far we can propel it. So, really? yeah. You, you, I love that. Nine is one. Uh, you didn't go to Wisconsin to row. You went there for a degree. What was your degree and what was your focus in major at the time? Oh, don't laugh. I was a broadcast journalism major. Wow. Yes. I yeah. knew we had something in common. I, you know, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Uh, broadcast journalism. What was your dream? What was the goal? What did you want to do? You know, I didn't really know. I just knew that I really liked, um, like when I was a kid in high school, I shot a lot. My dad had a cool camera and we shot, we would shoot movies all the time and do stuff. So I knew I loved video. And I, um, so I worked in every facet of it. I mean, when I was in college, I was a sports intern and uh, our weekend sports anchor is a guy named Kurt Menefee who does um, <laughs> NFL Sunday, right? So he was our weekend sports anchor back in those times. And uh, um and then when I, you know, took my shot and um, I moved to Boston to train, you know, for the U.S. team, I was an intern at a radio station and I just like gathered info for the news. And then when they moved the team to Chattanooga, Tennessee, I worked in TV production. So I made commercials and long format sports presentations, which was super fun. And then after I retired from rowing, I actually worked in TV promotion so I, I produced, um, like promotional, uh, videos for TV station. Yeah. And then I, um, yeah, yeah. So I did that for, I don't know, like five years. And then I, I moved into sales cause that's honestly where the money was. And then I ended up coaching at Stanford. So <laughs> okay, hold yeah. on, hold on. We got, you're skipping around. I love, it. all right. So let's, Let's get back to let's get back to rowing for a minute because I'm blown away by the TV thing. We'll, we'll dive into that. So you moved to Boston to try for the national team. Why did you want to be on the national team? Like, what was? I know that you watched you watched the women's eight right on VHS, um, but like, why did you want to keep doing that? What was the draw for you? Well, so when I was a sophomore at Wisconsin, we won the national championship, and I was the coxswain in the two v. But, you know, I was, I was fired up and I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought like, I thought I was pretty great <laughs> and it was a second year coxswain and, 
I was throwing F-bombs all over the place and, you know, I was very motivated and, uh, but technically, you know, I still definitely was, was learning. And uh, my coach put my name in a hat for the, they needed coxswains for development for the U.S. Okay. team. Yep. So I ended up going to this uh, development camp and Bob Ernst was a coach and um, they had everybody in one place that year. So you had the best people who had been to the Olympics were there and you had all of us up and comers. And uh, so what an incredible learning ground. And I got cut three years in a row and I just kept coming back and kept trying. And uh, so um, 89 was, I went in 80, what, 86, 87, 88 and got cut. And then in 89, it was a fresh Olympic quadrennial. And so I moved to Boston because there were two training centers. One was Seattle and one was Boston. And the Boston training center had the most people from the last Olympics who were actively training. So I was like, if I want to make it, I got to go where they are and I got to learn from the best people. So I moved to Boston. And you were supplementing your income in TV production and, and interning, right? I mean, you were just- you Well, were you wish, away. right? Like we all know there's no money in TV, you know, unless you make it big. But um, I was an intern for, I was a volunteer. So the internship I didn't get paid for. And then I worked at a country club during the day and I was a waitress. So I could, um, you know, I would go from practice to waiting tables and then I would go back to practice. That's uh, that's Midwest grit right there. I mean, that does, it's, you're motivated, right? You're like, I got to make this work and whatever it takes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, uh, living in Boston wasn't free, right? No. There weren't sponsors. So that was that was it. And what yeah. a time, I mean, 80s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, my, my favorite moment, my favorite years in rowing is like that 96 to 06 era. Like, I think that's the, the best 10 years ever, uh, men, women, you name it. Um, the early 90s, America was starting to figure itself out, you know, in, a, in the rowing world. Um, who are some of the people you were, lo you were looking up to in, in that era, in those early 90s and, and mid 90s? Who are the people that you're looking up to? That were like on the team or that yeah, were like, yeah, the people yeah. you admired the most, the, the, the athletes that you really connected with, like who, who were they? Oh man. I mean, I, I was so lucky. I mean, I think a lot of what I learned was because, you know, there were three women right from the university of Wisconsin who were in the mix, right? So Cindy Eckert and Carol Feeney and Sarah Gengler and Kim Santiago, the coxswain who she was the varsity coxswain when I started. So she just really was an incredible mentor to me. And so they were all in the training group. And then Anna Seton was there and Steph Maxwell. They went on to win um, an Olympic um, silver medal. And then um, Carol and uh, we call her Fiend and Cindy won a silver medal in the four uh, in our group. So it was, uh, I mean, there just were so many cool people. And, and Carrie Graves, she had retired at that point, but I mean, sure. she was such a legend and Chris Thorsness was still going when I was in the camp when I started and uh yeah I mean they just they were just such incredible uh, personalities and people who like worked hard and had a lot of fun and just really really loved the sport so you know that was cool I remember meeting Chris Ernst you know she led the uh the women into the athletic director's office at Yale when they, they stripped for the locker room, you know, <laughs> so, you know, you get to meet these legends and you're like, Oh my God, these guys actually did this. And we wouldn't, you know, you're, you're sitting there going, we wouldn't have what we have now if we, if they wouldn't have done that. Right. Yeah. But even then in the eighties, I don't know. I mean, 
you weren't around yet, I guess, but like, oh, oh, hey, 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 oh, I was, I was born 85, born, right? right? I'm, I'm, I'm 37. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would buy your splash jacket, you know, it was called a Stevenson. So, um, on the, when you were in college, everybody bought it, you know, like, so you had a pair of polyester trowel and a t-shirt that were checked out in the laundry room, you know, and they were kind of, they'd been around, but your racing, um, splash jacket, you purchased it. And I remember that was a major investment. You know, that's a big deal when you bought your splash jacket. And when I made my first U S team and they actually gave us one, I just couldn't even believe it. <laughs> yeah. That was so cool to actually have this issued, you know, red, white, and blue Stevenson with USA on it. And that it was like that patch, the U S rowing patch was on there. And, you know, you felt like you won the lottery. It was just the coolest. Now you, 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 uh, I want to, I want to get my ears correct. Right. So you were in the 92 and 96 Olympic eight. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So that's, I've talked to a lot of Olympians and that's a lot of years, a lot of years of being consistent and training and focused. Um, I don't think you won gold, correct? I mean, you won a silver. Is that we right? Won, um, we were fourth in the 96 Olympics. Fourth. Yeah. Yeah. We were world champions going in. So yes, um, I was really, I mean, in some pretty amazing boats and that same lineup of women won the world championships the year before. And we had three silver medals in the run up to, uh, I guess my first one was in 90 in Tasmania. What an incredible yeah. team that was. And then, um, 93 and 94 and then we were gold in 95 and then fourth in in 96 but you know but that's that's a long six or seven years right that's a lot of time of training and 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 being the coxswain and focus i'm sure there was competition all the time for your seat what what kept you going and and sort of living this quite frankly low income poor uh tv production lifestyle I mean, what was <laughs> the, what was like the motivation yeah, you know, um, actually the first in the 93 to 96 quadrennial, they started this Olympic job opportunities program and the USOC started um, pulling a little more uh, money in. That's that was kind of the beginning of people being able to work uh, part time and get paid for it. So yeah. that was that was pretty novel at the time. And the 96 Olympics was the first Olympics where they offered um cash for medals. So, and I think the prize is still the same. I think it was 25,000 for a gold medal. And then, um, man, I think it was maybe 15 for a silver, 10 for a bronze. We were fourth. And I think we still got like 5,000 or 7,500, which seemed uh, like you're, you're, you're rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, if you look at the four years that went into that cycle, obviously that money didn't go that far, but it went further than it does now. Right. So, um, but we also had champion paper was a sponsor back then. They were, I was just having this conversation with Frank Coyle. He was the president of US Rowing at the time. And they were such a great sponsor. They really, really were. And uh, they were a million dollar sponsor for US Rowing. And so what that enabled us to do in that time, we did a ton of traveling in the summer. We would go to all of, they weren't called World Cups then, but you know, Lucerne and all of those races sure. were there. And uh, uh, those experiences were so incredible. I mean, I, I saw the world literally. Um, we went to the Goodwill Games in St. Petersburg, you know, just- oh, uh, an incredible, incredible time and just great people to train with men and women. We, you know, spent a lot of time with the guys. 
Mike sure. Spracklin was the men's coach and Hartwood yeah. Bushmacher was our coach. And there were camps where we sparred, you know, against each other. And, and it was really, um, there was a lot of motivation. I mean, we wanted to win, right. You know, like you're, you're living for that moment of, um, you know, representing your country mm. and, you know, that feeling of sitting on the line and, and, and knowing all of the, the meters you had and, you know, blood, sweat, and tears you'd poured in there. And just like, what is the best I can do in this moment? And I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade one of them. It was fantastic. I hope you know this question. I know you, I think, you know, I think, you know, the answer, but let's say 90 to 96. What was your favorite race? Number one race. What is the one that you can just close your eyes and, and visualize, feel, and see the whole race? Oh my God. I mean, definitely the world championships that we won. Cause it was hard fought. I mean, we worked our way there over many years. I mean, we were doing 250 K a day. I mean, a week. What am I saying? <laughs> we did 250 K a week. I had to take a deep breath there. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Well, we never stopped, you know, we just like rode nonstop. Yeah. But, um, we, we put in a lot of miles and, uh, you know, I mean, those women are like my sisters. And so that was just a major breakthrough. It was the first time the U.S. had ever won a gold medal at a world championships in the women's aid. So that was breakout. And that was, it was amazing. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember every stroke of that race and uh, it was, you know, finally we broke through and, you know, what's crazy is we we're on the podium and the Romanians who, you know, you're always chasing the Romanians, right? And we finished and they, uh, we got our medals and they came up and one of them goes, Yasmin, you have won. Congratulations. <laughs> and they were genuinely just really good sports about it. So yeah, it was cool. I How, loved it. Are you still close to those girls, those women in the 95 vote? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yes, very much. So, uh, one of our teammates, Amy Fuller has uh, cancer and, um, so uh, we all had an opportunity to meet at her house. Um, she grew up in this cool place, Lake Sherwood in, in California. And it's this cool, like cabin on a lake kind of place. We all got together for a long weekend and it was amazing. Um, we did a master, we did a, a master's worlds once and uh, we did some crew classics together. And uh, it's crazy, you know, even after years apart, you get back in the boat and the rhythm, it just comes right back. I mean, we took, we took. God knows how many strokes together. So yeah. Uh, cool. God, come on. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, I'm not sure if I've ever spoken to somebody in that boat. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's hard to remember. We've done so many of these. Um, all right. So 96, you retire, right? So August you're in Atlanta games are over September over is, are you done at that point? Is that when the rowing career ends? Yeah, I think, you know, at that point I was like, uh, I was 30 and, um, I just was thinking that, um, yeah, it was just time for me to move on in my life. And, and I had, uh, done all of that work behind the scenes, uh, in TV. And so I had an opportunity to go to work, uh, for somebody that, um, they owned some television stations and they offered me a job. So I went to work in um tv production yeah and where was that so like where did you move where'd you go i moved to oregon yeah they had oregon. just a station there and uh my husband was a, a tv uh cameraman 
So, uh, I mean, at the time we weren't married, but we both worked in TV. And so we're like, yeah, let's go just start this next chapter of our life. And I think I lasted three months out of the sport. We were in Eugene and we were driving out to the mountains for a weekend. And uh, there we were driving by this lake and there was a regatta going on. And so we pulled over to check it out. It was Dexter Lake and it was the Oregon Association of Rowers. And they were having this race. And someone recognized me because I think it was pretty close. You know, the Olympics had just sure. you know, happened. And so, um, yeah. And so then I was, then I was coaching. <laughs> so I was coaching on the side, you know, outside of my job. All right. So what exactly was the job then? So like, what, what was your day-to-day in TV production? I would go to the TV station and I would write uh, commercials and schedule uh, they were like promotional spots for the TV station for yeah. like our news team and programming that we had. And then I would schedule it. And then, um, yeah, that's what I did. The most, this is funny. I could, I can, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overthinking this, but I could see you coaching in the mornings, right? This Eugene group. And, and then all day long, you're like miserable at a desk and you're like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? I've heard that a thousand times from coaches when it's in their blood, their day job was the distraction, right? To what they really wanted to do. Um, yeah. Was that happening to you pretty early on there? I think the first thing that really struck me was, um, you know, the work ethic of people in our sport in general and just, you know, like how hard we worked you know, every day in that boat, like for the Olympics, but also in college, you know, I mean, like you've got people united and working towards a goal. And when I started working at the TV station, it was the first time that I really witnessed people like punching a clock and taking advantage of it. Like you could punch the clock. If you punch the clock uh, eight minutes before the hour, you got 15 minutes of credit. And then if you waited until eight minutes after the hour, you know, you got an extra, it, you got paid. So literally people worked the clock. Like oh they literally did to just try to get an extra 30 minutes of pay. And uh, that kind of freaked me out. Cause I was like, wow, like these people are just going through the motions. And I mean, honestly, I was in there just, you know I just wanted to crush it. And I was like, oh yeah, we're just gonna make this the best it could possibly be. <laughs> but I learned pretty quickly that not everybody felt that way. You know, a lot of people just went through the motions. And then the other thing that was weird was sitting at a desk was physically painful because I just spent so many years, you know, I'd spent a decade sitting in the coxswain seat and that was just, that was comfortable, you know, for me. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, wow, so right. I love getting back in the boat and I coxed all the time. I coxed more than I coached there. You know, I would, oh, I, right. I would coach from the coxswain seat. Well, just like, I mean, that was your, it was your first coach at Wisconsin, right? That helped you learn that is that you needed to be an extension, like an extension of the coach, as you said earlier. So you probably gained a lot more understanding of how the boat moves and how to coach them in the coxswain seat, right? Like that's an obvious, yeah, obvious that thing. That was my eye. That, that was what I knew. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't, I don't spend enough time talking to coxswains uh, and, and it's a fault on mine, but you feel everything, right? It's, it's not just what you see. I mean, I'm sure you, you feel every stroke sitting in that seat when you've been doing it for so long. Is oh, that a fair I still, statement? I still get in the boat sometimes because then that helps me really understand what's going on in there. Oh, that's so. like a, that's like a cheat code for coaching. Holy cow. I mean, you, that, that's an incredible opportunity for you. 
as a coach. Um, all right. So you said your husband, so cameraman match made in heaven, both love TV. Are you married before you go to Stanford or like at what point do you go to Stanford where you are in your, in your relationship and where, where are we that in that? Right. Okay. So then after, um, after I retired from the Olympics, I got a call from NBC and they asked me if I would audition for the analyst job. So then I, that that's really kind of what fully reimmersed me in the sport because, you know, I didn't want to go to the Olympics and, you know, I needed to be on top of my game. Right. So I was only out of the Olympics for, you know, two years at that point, but it was coming up. And, and I was like, I need to make sure that I'm like, I gotta be, I gotta be on this. So uh, I started traveling to world cups and world championships. And then, you know, <laughs> kind of the magic Alex was that, um, you know, a lot of my friends, they were either still rowing or people were going into coaching. And yeah. so now uh, I had the microphone in my hand and all the questions you ever wanted to ask as, uh, you know, when you were on the team of your competitors, now suddenly I'd carte launch, I got to ask all those questions. <laughs> so, so I did. And so I would interview all of my friends and people from around the world, you know, as to what they were doing. And like, you know, people who were so great to me were Spracklin and Jurgen Grobler, because, you know, they were coaches on our team. And, and Jurgen had been Hartmut's boss back when he was in East Germany. Uh, yeah. and, I mean, to get to pick their brains, it was the greatest, you know, so, so I was doing that. And so then, um, uh, I did the 2000 Olympics in Sydney and then Raj, that's my husband, Raj and I got married on a boat there in Sydney Harbor during the Olympics. That was <laughs> cool. And then had all of our friends come, you know, and get on the boat for the, the wedding and cruised Sydney Harbor. So, we did that and then did another Olympics. I did Athens in 2004. And then in 2006, I got a phone call from Stanford asking if I was interested in college coaching. Yeah. Yes. Like you're living my life here. Come on. I mean, like that'd be my dream if I can go be an analyst and be on TV and like learn from these people. Oh my gosh. So for six years, you were still in the game. You were deep in the game. I mean, you knew everything. I, mean, I think it definitely got me really thinking about, you know, what else could I do with it? You know, because it was so, I don't even know how to describe it. You know, when you have all of that information coming at you and ideas, things you never thought about trying, right? And then you're like, what if, <laughs> right? And so then, um, then I got asked to, about Stanford. And I was like, I don't know if I want to coach college. It seems kind of daunting, honestly, you know, and, um, and I just really loved all of the elite stuff. And then, then I went there and interviewed and I was like, man, I mean, I wonder, maybe I can really implement some of this stuff. Like, what could we do? Like, what could I do with this college team? You know? And um, so, yeah, so I went for it. <laughs> and where and, was uh uh, and Ro Roger, right? He said your husband's name is Roger. Where was uh, Roger in all of this? Was he supportive? Was it a, a struggle as a as a married couple to like say, hey, we're going to pick up and move all the way to to California? Like, what was what was that conversation like? Oh man, like okay, so I'm truly the luckiest person in the world. Like uh, to have a husband who is like 
deeply entrenched in sports. I mean, he was a, he, he was a sports, he ran a mobile production truck, you know, like, so he loves sports. So for him to have me go from TV back into sports, he was like, go for it. hundred <laughs> percent. He's like, I think it sounds fun. You should do it. So yeah, it was, uh, he was all in. Yeah. That's kick-ass. Uh, that's yeah. You are very fortunate. That's awesome. All right. So Oh, six Stanford. All right. You're new to coaching. This is, I mean, aside from Eugene, Oregon, you are hired as the head. Is it the head coaching position at Stanford? Is that right? Oh yeah. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I like, how is None. it, how is this possible? Like, I don't understand how you fall into probably. And like, even today, there's not a lot of head coaching positions that come up are available in rowing, right? Especially ones that you can make a really good living at. <clears throat> so sure, give you all the credit, like you Olympian, uh, multiple times uh, analyst, but like, why do they give you this job? Because there's no way that that could happen in today's world, that without coaching experience, you get the head coaching job of such a big program. Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I, I think it was just, uh, I mean, Craig Amerikanian was the men's coach at the time, and he was kind of leading the search. And I think that, uh, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that they were, I think they cared about the program, but it wasn't, you know, Stanford was winning all of these championships in other sports and they were committed to 36 teams because that's how many the board of trustees had, you know, committed to. And, uh, but I think at the time, like they had had some good success. I mean, they, they did. Amy Baker had, uh, they had won a bronze medal. There were some Olympians who came out of um, that group um, in her time. But I think that, uh, I don't know that they were super focused on it. You know, I remember at one point that uh, the guy who hired me was like, you know, just make sure everybody's happy. You know, like they, it's, it's, they don't have to win, you know? And I was kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm going to try to win. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. So, uh, but the thing is, I don't know. I, I saw the potential, I guess, and they hired me. And so then I just was like, well, I'm going to go for it. Right. So I did. And then, um, did you, you know, who, uh, so who did you, um, did, did you have to hire your own staff or did they just like provide you some assistance? Cause no, the program's I, like new, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, my first assistant coach was Mary Schaffner, who had come from the University of Wisconsin, and she had led their lightweight team to, I think, three IRA championships. So I knew that she knew, you know, something about recruiting. I didn't. I sure didn't. And then, um, uh, then Missy Fiesler, who had rode on the team before, came on as a like a part-time coach. Cause there just wasn't, there really wasn't any money. So there were like two, two and a half positions. It was crazy. I still, I slept four hours a night four for like an entire year. Cause I just didn't know I had to figure everything out from scratch. Cause there's, you know, the NCA rule book was over 400 pages. So <laughs> there was, you know, learning that and recruiting and following the rules and, and um, yeah, it was just a lot. And then, and then also there were only 19 people on the team. Yeah. So when I got there, like 
I think a lot of people were like, oh, well, there's a transition. I'm just not going to do it. So there are only 19 people on the team. So that was crazy. And then it just, yeah, I like you're, you're asking me questions about things I haven't thought about in a really long time, but that's <laughs> how it was. Yeah. So this is, I mean, it's comical, right? Yeah. As it's comical, they, this program hires you, you have 19 kids, you don't sleep at night. You are tasked to solve a lot of problems. You are essentially at it at your own, on your own, right? Like, I can't imagine. I mean, you had support, but you're like having to learn on the fly. Uh, it's funny. It's, it's, you had to learn in a year's time what most people take a decade to learn, right? You, you're running the head coach uh, at Stanford. It's not lost on me either, too, because I mean, there were a lot of people probably who worked many years to have that opportunity. And I probably got it because of my national team experience. And I remember, Craig, the reason he said he called me was because uh, there was an article in the rowing news that I had written about coxing. And he was just oh, like, wow. Man, I wonder if she would be, you know, if she'd be somebody who could who would be interested in, in doing this, you know, so um yeah, I think I I kind of fell into it. And I'll tell you, like, there were a lot of critical people. Th that's kind of the funny thing. There are a lot of people like, yeah, what's she going to do? You know, like who, she she thinks because she was a I took a lot of heat, you know, like, oh, yeah, she's an Olympic coxswain and she's likable. But like, she's not going to be able to do this. I, I know. I, I, I you know, it's I, that's another thing that I was thinking about is I can't imagine your peers and some, some people that have, you know, uh, other people that have a hate towards someone getting this job. Like you probably had a lot of people saying there's no way she's going to be successful. Right. I, and I, and I'm assuming a lot of people were questioning that decision. Uh, did you hear any of that? Did you, was that ever in your, your, uh, environment? Oh yeah. hundred percent. And you know, the thing is like, I didn't really care because that was kind of how it was in the, like, in my formative years, just even when I started on the women's team, like women's rowing was accepted, but before the NCAA edition of the sport, it's still, I mean, we were most definitely second-class citizens in our boathouse. You know, our locker room was like this cave underneath a dorm and you would walk through the, you know, you, you would put on your trowel, throw your winter coat over you as you hiked over to the boathouse and then strip off, you know, your outer layers and work out and then throw it back on and walk back through the snow. So, and then also as a coxswain, I think too, like there wasn't a lot of respect for coxswains in that time. So um, my, when I went to that first national team camp, we got the scholars, like we were seat racing in cox quads and they hated that they had to have coxswains, <laughs> you know? So um, there wasn't, and there weren't a lot of coxswains who were coaches. So I think there was enough, um, you know, there were still a lot of the coat, most of the coaches were men and none of the coaches were coxswains. So, but I mean, that's my whole life. So I didn't really care. And I was like, you know, say whatever you want. I'm going to bust my ass. And, and uh, it, it wasn't even so much, I'm going to prove you wrong. It was, I'm just going to do the very best I can and see where I can take this program and, and see, you know, if I can inspire these women to love this sport so much that they're going to, you know, give everything that they have to make the boat go as fast as it can, which is essentially what I tried to do when I was in it.
I love that. You, you, weren't, you weren't doing it for you. You were doing it for them. Um, Craig comes up in nearly every podcast interview that I do. And <laughs> I can't believe how many people he's impacted in the sport of rowing. It's, it's shocking. And you, you name anybody who he recruited in those like late 90s and early 2000s, everyone says he's the best recruiter ever in the game like ever he was like he just knew how to recruit people to join the sport and be a part of it and love it and i'm blown away by how many people he's impacted it's insane i you know i i'll say if it wasn't for craig i would not have ever become a college coach and he when i flew down to stanford for that interview and he's driving me around you know woodside you know like these are multi-million dollar homes like there was no way i could afford to live there you know but he convinced me that somehow i was going to love being a coach at stanford That's so and cool. it was the greatest sales job of all time 100 i was the lowest paid coach and in, in the pac-12 um, my entire career and Craig talked me into it. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm writing that down. I, I don't want to, I, you know, I, I, there's, I have a lot more things to talk about. I, I don't want to get into that. Um, a question popped up in my head when you said, um, you know, you're new to the coaching and you're up all nights of the hour. Um, what, who or what, who was, or, or how many were the people that you would call on for advice, right? When you, didn't know what to do or had problems with coming up with lineups or who was the person or people that you would call on for advice and support and help? Um, I was super lucky. Okay. So um, number one, I would call probably Tom Terhar or Laurel Korholtz. And um, number two on site at Stanford was a guy named Bill Walsh. Wow. The football coach. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he was a mentor to all of us there. And he was just, he was just amazing. You know, he was a guy who understood um, how to get players to uh, be inspired and, and play for one another. That's what he did. Do you, do you recommend, uh, you do recommend coaches going outside of rowing to get advice from other coaches in other sports? Oh, yes. Um, I think some of the best advice that I get daily um, is from the coaches here at the University of Washington. So once a month, we meet with uh, Coach Pete, Chris Peterson, who was the head football coach here for a long time. So he is the, uh, he runs a session with all of the head coaches at Washington. And we sit down once a month and we talk about stuff. And uh, everybody comes. Kalen DeBoer comes. He's the head football coach now. Wow. Mike Hopkins, Tina Langley, the basketball coaches, everybody comes. And those sessions are just, I learn more in those sessions about interacting with our athletes, um, challenges that people are facing in other sports. Yeah. Um, there, there's so much overlap. It's unbelievable, especially today and especially post COVID. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I do. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, we get in our own way. I think so many rowing coaches, uh, we isolate ourselves, um, and we think that we have all the answers, but I love that. I, I mean, Bill Walsh, are you kidding me? Like you got to, you got to be with these people that would help lead programs. Uh, and you learned so much. I love that. Um, now look, I'll be the first to say, I hate to say this. I actually don't know your success at Stanford. So what were some of the, like, how successful were you at Stanford, uh, in those years? 
So I think, um, you know, our breakthrough year was my second year there and it was 2008. So there was a gal on my team, my first year, whose name was L Logan. Oh, right? okay. Yep. And she was a freshman and then she went off to camp that summer and then they, they um, decided to keep her for Olympic selection. Wow. So, so she wasn't in the 2008 boat, but that boat, um, led the field at the NCAAs in the final and uh, um, got edged by Yale, but finished a molecule ahead of Brown and finished second. And then Elle and Lindsay Meyer um, were in the Olympic group and they were in Lucerne and they called me and they were like, you don't even need us. And I'm like, get back here. <laughs> we'll take so, you. So, on, like, yeah. So your second year, I just want to point this out, your second year in coaching you are getting second place in the women's eight at NCAAs. They did. I mean, what a group of women. And there were some walk-ons in that boat too. So that's kind of the other- How the hell did you do that? Yes, how the hell did you, how did the hell did they do that? How did that happen? They did it. You know, like, I mean, I remember when they walked out of there because I think we barely made, so classic. We, we just made it into the semi and then we finished third in the semi and just made it into the final. And so we were in like lane six, you know, the smoking lane. And, um, uh, you know, we just had a conversation about what, the, what were they willing to do before That's that insane. final? Yeah. And when they walked off um, to go get hands on the boat, they looked like people going into battle. And I was like, wow. this is going to be freaking good. <laughs> What did you and then they uh, led until like the last 10 strokes, I think. So, but it was, you know, and they weren't huge ergs by any stretch. They just were, they're just great teammates and they love each other. And they, yeah, they were tough and they were willing to lay it out there for each other. Yeah. What, um, what I'm trying to like, how do I say this? Um, what, what was, uh, what, what was, what was more fun for you or what was, uh, what did you love more being in the women's eight in 95 or watching your, your, your team, you know, do so well at the NCAA or win the NCAA or, you know, achieve those kind of victories. Was it, was it a more proud moment for you as a coach or as an athlete? Oh, definitely as a coach. Yeah. 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 So I think the, um, the next big thing that happened a couple months later was, L was in the U.S. Women's Eight in 2008, and they sure. won the gold medal. And I called that race for NBC. And so I'm up in the grandstand, and you know, here comes the U.S. And they, like, I'm getting chills just thinking about this. I know I can, like, I can. Oh man! <laughs> when they cross the line, like, because you have to keep it together, you know, as an announcer, you know, and sure. and you can't be a cheerleader. That's the number one rule. So, you know, you're calling the race as it's happening. And, um, and then they cross the line and I just like my whole body went numb. Just, I was so overjoyed. And when they played the national anthem, Oh, come just, on. I just started bawling. I mean, I was just a mess. And the other thing too was, you know, Terhar was our assistant coach when I was on the team in 96. And so oh, then yeah. for him to be their coach and to lead them to that gold medal. And um, 
uh, I saw Elle afterwards and she, she, you know, handed it to me so I could hold it. And I was more proud of, you know, her winning it than I ever think I could have been, you know, myself. Like it was just so cool to see what she did. And then also I was just overjoyed for, for Tom sure. and, uh, and, and Laurel and, you know, Laurel had won a silver. She was in my boat in 96. Yeah. Yeah. She won silver in uh, 2004 where they set the world best time, you know? So oh, um, yeah, that was, I think, so 2008, like to me, that was just really a proud moment for me as a coach to see my, to see one of my athletes win the Olympic gold medal. And that was her first of three. So oh, that, I know. Yeah, three, yeah, she went three in a row. And then she came back and Lindsay came back. And then uh, future Olympian Grace Luzak was also in that boat in 2009. And then we had a kid who, was, who got cut from the Stanford swim team who learned to row that fall. Oh, my God. And, eight, and, and then they won and set, um, uh, set uh, a new NCAA record in 2009. So that was, that was, that was the coolest because the NCAA is it's, you know, it's a team result. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think our four, our four really got it going because they should, you know, like the stats said they shouldn't make the final. And we were like, you guys, like, if you can make the final, we got a shot and they did. So they finished fifth and then our 2V finished third. And then the varsity eight um, won in the final. And that was extra cool too, because Virginia beat us in the semi. And so again, you know, the field was so awesome. Like Virginia really pushed us. And then we found another gear on the last day. And the number of times that happens at the NCAAs, I just, I just can't even tell you. It's just so, I just love coaching the NCAA is just the greatest. It's just so awesome. And just getting deeper and, and more competitive every year. what i there's no secret sauce to coaching right it's like it's a lot of it has to do with the athletes but for someone that had maybe three or four years of coaching experience to win the ncaa on the team side and the women's a that 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 that, there's a lot there right there's a there's a lot to unfold um was your training plans built around your experience at wisconsin on the national team where you calling up favors and support? Cause like, how did you build your training programs? There wasn't a whole lot of, in other words, like, yes, you experienced it in the boat as a coxswain, but it takes decades for coaches to develop and learn and understand what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have a very big team at that time either, you know? Um, so, um, definitely we were doing more volume you know, and uh, so it was getting college kids used to doing that. And I don't think that very many teams were doing volume at the time. I think there's a lot more teams that are now. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to go fast. But I think at that time, there were a lot of people who kind of poo-pooed volume. And I mean, I knew, I mean, I guess this is where, like, I knew that it had worked for us. You know, like I saw the transformation of our boat at the elite level um, you know, as for team USA and, uh, and I knew what Tom and the U S women were doing since then. And, you know, L went into that camp that certainly helped, you know, L went to team USA and she got a lot faster, you know? So she was, I think when, when I started at Stanford and she came in her 
2K Erg was in the um, high 40s, I think. And when she left, she was 633. You know, so especially at that time, that was pretty cool. And now, I mean, now there's more and more um, college athletes who are in the um, low 40s and, and high 30s. So it's um, so impressive. Uh, it's, yeah. it's so impressive. Uh, let's get to UW. So when did you get the job, you know, opportunity, like what, when did all that, how did that all come about? You know, so years at Stanford, when did UW come into play? Yeah. So, um, when I went to Stanford, my husband said, you know, is this it? Like, would you ever go anywhere else? And I was like, this is before I'd even started, you know? And I was like, well, if there was one place that, you know, would be amazing, it would be the university of Washington. And I knew of the program because when I was in the national team camp one summer we came here mm -hmm. and a lot of the Washington women and the Wisconsin women were friends because we were on the national team together and um just the the history here was unbelievable I mean the the Washington women uh under Bob Burns they were just doing cutting edge training in the 80s and they were um you know one of the first to be offering scholarships and I just knew that they cared deeply about the program and, you know, plus you in a boathouse that's on campus, you're on the water year round, you know, it's just like, I, I have to admit, Alex, you know, like just as a, as a somebody, you know, when you train at a really high level as an athlete, you're always thinking about how much water time can you get? What are the resources? What are the facilities? Mm -hmm. And so I knew that, um, you know, we commuted at Stanford. Um, but like at Washington, I had trained here for an entire summer. So I knew how the setup was. And I knew that the tradition was amazing. And I knew that the alums, especially the alums, men and women were just super supportive of the program and still were. So that was still, you know, evident in my time at Stanford. And then I'd been there for 10 years and I never had thought that the job was going to um, be available just because Bob was, you know, committed and had been here 40 years and was loving, you know, being here. And so um, when it came up, it was kind of a surprise, honestly. And uh, it was a really tough decision because I really loved my team at Stanford. But, you know, it was, I think at the end of the day, it was like, what can I do? Um, well, I, I, I agreed to the interview. And when I came up here and I met the women, they convinced me. I was like, they really, really want this. And they're, they're, they're going to take every opportunity they can get. So when I met them, then I was like, I, I'm going to do this. Like, this is, this is, they're the right kind of team for me. And I'm the right kind of coach for them. Wow. And I knew it. I knew it in, in my gut. And, and then it, the hardest thing was leaving my current athletes. Cause I, I loved them. I mean, they were just great people, but I knew long-term that this was going to be, uh, this was going to be the best fit both ways. There's a, there's a really uh, deep intimacy between college coach and, and athletes, uh, especially ones that like are recruited, right? Cause you bring them in, you, you become like a mother or a father to them. You, you nurture them in those formative years. Uh, I remember being recruited by John Van Carey uh, in high school and then going, and then he left Marietta my first year. So we were there and it was crushing to me. It was crushing. I was like, I had this beautiful man who was going to take me to the promised land. We we're going to win everything. And um, so I, I can imagine 
sitting down, it was a very emotional moment for you talking to your team and saying, I'm going somewhere else. And, and next year I'll be seeing you on the other side of the river. You know, I'll be competing against you. I'm, I can't, I can't imagine how difficult and emotional that was for you. You know, like I cried, I, I cried when I left there because it was so hard. And then the crazy thing, like full circle. So we're at the NCAAs in 2017. And um, my volunteer assistant coach is L. Logan at Washington, right? So, you know, here we had both, you know, given our hearts and souls to Stanford. And in the final um, of that race, the boat that was pushing us in the third 500 and into the last quarter of the race was Stanford. And I remember turning and looking at Al and being like, like, you just couldn't write this, you know? And part of me, I felt like, I don't know how to describe it. Like, of course I was like, you know, come on Washington, right? But part of me, like there was this, this inside where the fact that the Stanford women were pushing the Washington boat to yet another year, like it was one of the greatest moments, honestly, in my life. Just, I was so excited and happy about all 18 women in both of those boats because I had coached most of them. And I just knew that, um, I just, you just felt, you just felt these people out there pushing the level of the sport and, and just driving one another to the line. And it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It was amazing. It was so amazing. What was, uh, so, so for people that don't know the results, what were the results of the 2017 final? What, how did it, how did it end? Oh my God. So Washington won by, I want to say it was, I think it was like three and a half seats. So, you know, it was, it was a great race. Stanford moved and then uh, Washington pulled away again in the end in the sprint. And then that um, we had won the four and the two V before. So it was the first time anyone had ever swept at the NCAAs. So I think like that also was kind of overwhelming because <laughs> literally they crossed the line and we're like, oh my God, did that just happen? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so um Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was amazing. And then of course I got to see all of those women from, you know, um, both eights afterwards and it was really emotional and, and great. And, and I, I thanked the Stanford women too, because, and, and Derek did such a great job with that team that year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's doing a great job at Stanford. So, um, but it was, it was incredible. How many, uh, how many total NCAA team trophies do you, do you have under your belt? Oh, um, uh, I'm, I got to think about it. Um, like of, of every color. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have to think about it. Sorry. I should know this. I should know this. I put you on the spot. I mean, my point is it's a lot, you know, it's a lot. And you have, you have coached a lot of fantastic women, um, one being, I believe, Brooke Mooney, correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brooke so, and Jess, Jess Thomas. Yeah. So, so Brooke is one of my favorite athletes. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, this past uh, spring, we were at Stotesbury. And I, I've been in rowing since 1999. I've not really followed women's rowing for a while. Like It wasn't until recent when 
we started Rower's Choice and I started really understanding women's rowing. Okay. So I preface that by saying this, I'm walking down the street with Brooke and I've gotten to really know her in the last six or seven months. And this young 14 year old girl comes running up to us in tears saying, oh my God, you're Brooke Mooney. Like, can I please get a photo of you, please? And she's shaking. This little girl is shaking. And her mother is there and she goes, mom, do you know who this is? Like, this is Brooke Mooney. She's the fastest woman in the world. And I started crying. I'm like, I'm choked up. I'm getting choked up right now. And because I, I have a daughter, uh, she's nine. And I know when she looks at some, someone that she reveres and she just is like, this is it, you know? And Brooke showed me the power of women's rowing and like what it can actually do. And you have been around some of the fastest women in the world going back since 1995, right? And I couldn't believe how monumental in my mind, looking back how that was, that moment was seeing this beautiful thing unfold. And this girl got the photo, Brooke gave her advice. Brooke said, you know, don't stop. Like, you know, I forget exactly what she says, but the, the gist of it is like, don't stop. And it changed that girl's life forever. I mean, forever. And I really want more and more people to hear that story because I think women's rowing is like, it hasn't even begun yet. I think there's you know, so much more out there. Yeah, you're, you're right. And, and uh, you know, the thing, I, I think a cool thing about Brooke's story is, I mean, to go as fast as she did for 2K, what was it, 621.9 or something? Uh, seven, 621.7. Yeah. Holy smokes. I mean, like, she didn't just beat the world record. I mean, she just blew it out of the yes. water. And to have the courage, you know, to take that risk to go do that, like, that's, to me, that's, that's the message, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. like, we could, you know, like, vein of, you know, in the vein of Title IX and the 50th anniversary, like, we've seen a lot of crazy shit happen in the last year, you know, like with Roe v. Wade and all of this stuff. And uh, um, it's not enough for people to just be like, let's just like, let's just make it a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. I mean, like, I honestly thought, when, okay, when I was 25 years old, did I think that by the time I was 58, which I am now, that um, women would have equal pay? you know, across the board in general, that, that you wouldn't be looking at gender, that that wouldn't be, that stat would no longer be a stat. A hundred percent. Like how, like, how has that not happened yet? And then to see the whole, all of this going, this happening with Roe v. Wade. And it's really interesting because a woman named Trish Bostrom, who was a tennis player here at the University of Washington, spoke at our women's alumni brunch a couple of years ago. And she said, don't think this is done. Like, it's not like all the work happened and now we're just gonna, you know, keep working our way towards the goal. Like this is tenuous. Like this is fragile. This could all go the other way in a heartbeat's notice. And here we are. So everyone, men and women and human beings 
we need to be fighting for and insisting on equality. Men, women, race, like we've got to take ourselves as the human race, at least in the civilized world into this, this new era. Like I thought, I was confident this would be happened before I died. And now I'm like, not so sure. <laughs> and we can't just be comfortable in our lives because, um, you know, we have a lot of, you know, conveniences in the civilized world. We've got to fight for this. And uh, this 50th anniversary is um, the timing. I mean, it's here. This is our shot. We cannot back down for one second. And it's going to take every human being to insist on that it's the right thing to do, that that's how it must be. How much of a, how much of your, I try to like figure out how to ask this question. Um, you know, I don't, I typically am a wordsmith. <laughs> I usually have, I know it's usually what I want to say. Um, how much of your time is dedicated towards making sure that we're going in the right direction in the NCAA with Title IX? Like how much are, how much are you focusing your energy on that of the equality and, and that push? Again, I feel really fortunate to work at, at a university in an athletic department where it's, it's a front of mind. So the president of the University of Washington is a, a woman and she's Latinx or Latinx, Latinx and, uh, um, and a lesbian. Okay. So this just kind of gives you an idea of sure. uh, the environment. And then our, our athletic director is uh, Jen Cohen. And uh, so, you know, the only power five um, athletic director, that's a woman. And um, um, so it's front and center. And then our DEI chief is Sheridan Blanford, who's a black woman. So um, I would just say that we have meetings, conversations, work that we are constantly doing here within our athletic department and university that we're constantly working on that. And uh, um, equality, diversity, and belonging. And I think if you think about it from the perspective of belonging, I mean, I, like, I think that's, that's also the thing that rowing, like, as a sport where we really have something to offer because when you feel that you belong you know in a space but like in a boat right when you when you are getting a boat going and flying and everyone is on the same page i mean that is the ultimate feeling in belonging you belong to that rhythm you belong to the eight other people in there you are one and so if we as rowers can think of it as like, we, we are blessed with the highest high when it comes to the feeling of belonging. And if we can bring that spirit and that feeling and, and keep that in mind in other aspects of our lives. And if we're thinking that if, if we can make others in our space feel like they belong, that's where incredible things happen in humanity. That's where people create wonderful things. That's when, that's when amazing things happen. So. Yeah, I got nothing to say. That's perfect. That is a, a 
incredible way. Ted, I got like, I, you know, I think you're, you're a head coach for a reason. Um, I kind of want to rip a 2K right now. I want to call everyone that I know and I say I love you very much. And I want to make everyone around me feel like they belong. Like, that's it. That's what you make me want to do. Um, I knew, I knew that when you agreed to do this podcast, I knew it was going to be a good one. And uh, I can't thank you enough. I hope you enjoyed talking with me for the last, I don't know, hour and a half. I hope you enjoyed it. Oh my gosh. I, I, I hope I didn't drone on about anything. No. But, uh, no. Uh, my pleasure, 100 percent And and I hope that it's um, I don't know, meaningful or inspirational to somebody. And and uh if if this podcast helps someone, then I think it was was worth it. I think yeah. it will. And yeah, this is episode nine, season four, and we have been talking to IRA NCAA head coaches all all year long so far, and there's more to come. So uh, we got the NCAA championships. Oh, I don't know, about four and a half months away. You'll be seeing for sure you University of Washington, uh, about to say Wisconsin, but I kept, I keep hearing your accent. Yeah, as I keep hearing it. Um, I, I've slipped on that one too. So <laughs> you're not alone. There it is. Have it uh, with Roller's Choice. Thanks for tuning in and more next week. See you.